Welcome to the um, pandemic live stream, I guess. Uh, let me just say, uh, my goal here right now is not to give you medical advice. It is to give you a biblical wisdom here, okay? Uh, nor am I looking at myself as the authority. Oh my goodness, all the people around me who are raising themselves up as like, I know what's really going on and how we should really all respond. Uh, everybody is. Uh, I'm not doing that, okay? What I would like to do is try to offer some biblical wisdom for the situation that's going on with coronavirus, with pandemics, with the idea, should churches close their doors right now? Is that biblical? Is that allowed? Is that a compromise? Is it an act of faith to go to church um, either in defiance of government recommendations or even demands, requirements? Because you guys are watching from around the world. So some of you are you know, watching in places where there's actually demands that you don't meet. Um, there, you know, should I just go and meet anyways? Is that an act of faith? Am I, am I compromising my trust or love for God? If I decide to stay home right now and not go out to anywhere or to the ch to the church in particular, so um, what I'm not going to do is try and tell you exactly how dangerous and what and make predictions about what we're going to find with coronavirus in the long term and stuff because I don't know and I don't I don't know and most of you don't either if any of you do, let's just admit that we don't know and move forward with wisdom in a situation where we just don't know. So welcome to the unscheduled live stream or the atypical live stream. Here we are. It's it's Monday. And I still have a live stream tomorrow and I'm going to be doing a video up on Wednesday and I'm going to be doing some more content in the coming time where people have nothing better to do. <laughs> so I'm going to try and just uh, meet you where you're at and give you more uh, a sense of, you know, blessing and ministry as well as perhaps a sense of fellowship, especially those who join in the live chat. I'm glad you guys are there to join me. Um, I will try and meet you and join you while you're probably trying to find things to do with your time. So here we are. Let's talk about biblical wisdom for pandemics, um, for this sort of thing. Um, let me say this. Psalm 91. Let me start with Psalm 91. Because what I've been seeing is a lot of content on Twitter, on Facebook, and even in person. I heard just yesterday someone quote to me Psalm 91, and they said, see, I'm not worried. I'm not scared. Uh, I don't need to to concern myself with getting coronavirus or any other disease for that matter because of Psalm 91. And then I found an example of a pastoral leader in New Zealand who's doing this. Let me play you this clip right here. Um, let me tell you, this is, this is uh, from Destiny Church, um, and I'd like to give you the name of the pastor real quick because I didn't, I didn't grab that, but, um, apostle Bishop Brian. So it's not enough that he's, he has to be an apostle and a bishop. He has to be both. I'm sorry. I'm a little skeptical about this gentleman. You're about to find out why. Here's what he says about Psalm 91. 91. I'm going to repeat my message, which came out long time ago, very early in the piece, when a whole lot of other people were sleeping in their houses, their churches. I'd already put it out there, PS 91, pandemic protection. You believe me? Yeah. Don't believe me, believe God. You're looking at me like, oh, I don't know. Pandemic policy, all right, I'm just testing you, all right? Okay, he's going to go on. It took him a long time to say it, but he basically says Psalm 91 is the reason why his church is going to meet. His church has no issues. Now, my complaint is not against Apostle Bishop Brian. That's not my complaint. He is merely an example of what a lot of people are thinking. Let me play it to you in, in probably one of the more abusive ways that this chapter of the of the scripture is being abused right now. Abused, and I would like to show it to you in context. This is an abuse, but this is how he uses it for his church. Imagine the guilt trip. Imagine if you decided to stay home. I will not be shutting my church down. And if any of my hardcore members have stayed away, 
because of the disease, shame on you. Aren't you supposed to trust God and this is the time to do it? I mean, I know, okay, I'm not, I'm not critical. I'm stating a faith fact, right? The faith fact is that churches around the world are closing, they're shutting up. They are. And probably common sense in the sense from people saying, you know, it can be spread. Just like we all used to come to church anyway when you had a cold, remember? And the bad flu, some people came to church and were sneezing in the seats. You weren't scared then. But this is not like this one. Well, I understand the flu's killed more people than COVID-19. And this could do. But here's my point. Why would you stop trusting God at the moment that you're supposed to trust Him? When there is pressure, when there are diseases, when there are demonic attacks. That's not the time to stay home and lock the door down in fear or scared. You cannot be fearful in the face of any demon, any enemy. God, fear not, for I am with you. This ain't stupid. This is not stupid Christianity. This is not Brian Tamaki going crazy. Everything I preach is out of the Bible. You are crazy. You're crazy. Shame on you if you didn't go to church yesterday. Shame upon you if you're a pastor of a church and you've compromised by closing your doors. You have utterly failed Jesus Christ. This, I mean, this is, the, this is the message of this particular pastor. So this is an extreme example. I think more often people are, are more in the, in the gentle, the softer example where they're just going, Lord, I just want to obey you. You know, should I go to church? Like, and they don't feel the pressure of, of a overbearing nonsense message like this. They don't feel that pressure, but they feel just themselves going, is this okay? Is this right? So let me start with Psalm 91. Uh, let's read Psalm 91 together and let's look at it in context. This is the thing nobody ever does. Um, and Jesus is going to actually give us some help interpreting Psalm 91 because believe it or not, Jesus gives us an actual reference to this Psalm when, uh, when in the gospels. And you're going to remember it you will never forget it after this, I think. This should hopefully bless you. Uh, now, by the way, if this is your first time joining me and you like learning to think biblically about everything, you might want to subscribe and make sure to click the bell notification right there, the little bell thing, because otherwise you might not even know when I go live, um, which I'm going to be doing several times this week, I think. So Psalm 91, here we are. It says, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God, in whom I trust. As we read on, for he will deliver you. And this is where the psalm becomes promises about deliverance, right? He will deliver you from the snare of, um, sorry, just making sure I'm not having a live stream issue. He will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. Pestilence. That's, I mean, that's kind of what coronavirus is like, a pestilence. Um, he will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague shall come near to your tent. 
for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands, they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent will tra- uh, you will trample underfoot because he holds fast to me in love. I will deliver him. I will protect him. This is now God speaking um, because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him with long life. I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Now, let me just say my my quick response to this is yes. It, you know, if you take Psalm 91 as a constant ongoing promise about the daily life of a believer, then you can claim this and say, um, I can't get sick. I can't have pestilence. No one can shoot me with arrows. Lions cannot eat me. Snakes cannot bite me. Some people have have mistaken the scripture to say that, and many have died because of their arrogance. Um, this is this is like that direct interpretation. Okay, I, I see this, and a lot of times in the Psalms, I see this as a discussion of our eternal glory, that there is eternal hope, eternal peace, eternal salvation. The Psalms is full of examples of suffering and then eternal glory. I think this is speaking from that perspective. There's an eventual deliverance for the believers, but let me take you to where Jesus clinches it for us. If this verse, if this passage has been used by people in your life to tell you, or maybe you used it to tell other people that they simply cannot suffer um, the coronavirus. Um, That's not what Psalm 91 is saying. First off, we have the people of God getting sick. It happens uh, in the Bible as well as um, just in modern current times. But here we are in the temptation of Jesus, Luke chapter four. This is when Satan himself is tempting Jesus. And how does he do it? He continually misapplies scripture. He quotes scripture and he tries to apply it wrongly. And guess what? Satan does it with Psalm 91 in a way that people are doing it with coronavirus. And I want you to know about it. Luke 4 verse 9, it says, And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, Satan says, If you're the son of God, throw yourself down from here. Throw yourself, jump off the temple, for it is written, and he quotes Psalm 91. He will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. He's quoting Psalm 91. This is his quote. This is this is what they're doing. Hey, go to church. Go do whatever you want. Now, I'm not saying don't go to church. I haven't answered that question yet. I'm just talking about whether or not Psalm 91 applies to the question of going to church, okay? Do you go to church because God's going to protect you supernaturally if you're going to church from diseases or illnesses or maybe car accidents or what, or you name it? And uh, Psalm 91 is being quoted. Well, Satan does this. He says, Jesus, do this, re- do this reckless thing and jump off this building. Jesus answered and says to him, it is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And I love this because this is exactly the balance we need. God can protect you, but don't be an idiot. God can protect you, but don't be reckless. I've known people who do reckless things in their lives and who've said, um, like, they drive without wearing seatbelts. And they say, well, God knows the day I'm going to die. Nothing's going to change that. And I'm like, don't put the Lord your God to the test. Um, well, you know, I can go where I want. I can do what I want. God will protect me because I'm a true believer. I'm, so I'm under the God's protection. Um, this is exactly the kind of arrogance that is bound to be corrected. But God humbles the proud. So don't put God to the test. This is very simple. Psalm 91 is not saying that you have divine protection against every possible plague. That's out of context. The Psalms are simply not meant to be um, proof texts where we apply them wherever we feel like without really double checking if that's what God intended for us to have there and for us to believe. So that is definitely not the case. I, I think I just want to, the first one to clear up is Psalm 91 is not telling you go to church in spite of coronavirus. That's not what it's saying. Um, 
I want you to consider some other things. Um, and, and this is now my church was open last Sunday, right? We met this yesterday. Like today is, you know, we're, we're just in the beginning of this. You guys are going to watch this later. Someone will watch it a month from now and you'll have way more information than I have today. We'll have a lot more clarity on things. Um, right now we're sort of anticipating and, ho- and hoping that we can prevent stuff. I get that. So March 15th, we had church. I had my Sunday evening service. I uploaded a video for it late last night, early this morning. Um, so I taught. Now that service is like 20 people that come to my Sunday evening service. It's a really small gathering. It's a big online group, but it's a small in physical group. And so we have a little group. It, we're not, um, we're under even recommended gatherings. So we went ahead and met. But in the future, I don't know if we will or not. It depends on how things play out. Um, and it's not fear. It's wisdom. It's not fear. It's wisdom. I'll come out in just a second. But I want to say this. So let's say that your church decides that in the name of Jesus, even though you have a church of, say, a, say a big church, a thousand people, 500 people that are gathering on a weekly service, you know, in one building at one time, and you say, we're going to meet in faith. And in faith, you meet misunderstanding the text of scripture, thinking God has to protect you. You jump off the temple, so to speak, thinking God's angels will, will keep me from dashing my foot against the stone. The plague will not come near me. And then you spread coronavirus amongst your church members. A few of your older members maybe die as a result of this. Um, all the family members, especially the non-believing family members that know those those people, and they know that your pastor told them to go to church even though it was dangerous and said God would protect them. And now grandma's gone. You're bringing shame on the name of Christ if that happens. Or if you become the church with the reputation for having caused greater problems in your community because you weren't joining the uncomfortable, annoying world effort to try to limit the spread of coronavirus at its beginning. You could be known as the church that brings shame upon your community and ultimately shame upon the name of Christ. And you said it was all in faith, but you were misunderstanding scripture. In the Old Testament, did you know, in the Old Testament, we have a precedence for quarantines and for making sure that those who have diseases of some kind are not brought into contact with other people. We have a precedence for this. In the law, there's actually a a good deal of time that God spent talking about leprosy, which is not just what we think in modern terms of leprosy, but it was a whole variety of contagious type skin diseases, a whole variety. And he says, hey, you know, you know, don't let them go over here. Don't let them go over here. They can't enter into the temple. They can't come to the, to the, uh, you know, the closest thing to a church gathering that they would have in the Old Testament. Um, you know, they, let, let them be separated from the people that it would not spread. These were like quarantine type, um, type things, a whole clean and unclean thing. Part of that was a quarantine effect. And if we, if we can take that principle and say, at least in principle, you know, we're not like, everybody just show up anyways. Who cares? God will protect us. Like that. He didn't do that in the Old Testament. He doesn't command us to do it in the New Testament. The closest thing I can think as I survey scripture in my head of, for the New Testament for like a, a precedent on this, I can't find any precedent that talks about like the church being organized during a time of like um, disease spreading through the world. But there is one example that I'll offer. And that is that um, the, the elders in the church were told to go and visit the sick you know, James, in the book of James, he says, hey, if, if any, anyone among you is sick, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray for him, right? This means that the sick person was not going to church. Think about it, right? He wasn't going to the fellowship, to the gathering of the believers. The, they were coming to him to pray for him. Now, you, you, you could say, um, well, only in cases where they can't go, but it's just sort of assumed that you're sick, you're not going. So this doesn't seem to be like, well, but God will divinely protect us. Just go to church anyways. I don't see that consistently in scripture at all. There's another issue here. The issue, and I'm just going to, I'm rattling through a bunch of issues and then I'm going to go to your guys' questions from the live chat and then we'll end the stream for today. But another issue, which is this, um, is this fear? 
is this fear-based? A lot of times what I hear is people saying, uh, hey, should I go to church or shouldn't I go to church? And the response is, I am not, I'm not afraid. You shouldn't be afraid either. And I, I'm like, there's a disconnect here because one population is thinking this is about fear and the other population is thinking this is about wisdom. If you're scared, you don't need to be, especially in Christ. I don't need to be fearful. I don't need to be terrified about what might happen. And I'll tell you why. It's not because I know it can't happen. It's because I know the God who's still sovereign and in control, even if it does happen. That whether I get this or get that or get something much worse than coronavirus, like I'm not scared in that sense. I, I realize that even it, when the worst happens to me, yet God will restore me, yet God will give me eternal life and glory in his presence because of Christ. So I have a lack of fear that's, that results not from thinking bad things won't happen, but from knowing the ultimate good things that will happen, even if those bad things do happen. And that, so that alleviates my fear a lot. That, that really calms my heart before the Lord to know he is sovereign and he's in control. Um, that's good. But that doesn't answer the question of whether I have wisdom when I'm attending events or church. Uh, let me give you guys some principles that do apply to this situation, I think. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 12, which says, the prudent sees danger and hides himself, but the simple go on and suffer for it. This is just a generic principle in the book of Proverbs that like, hey, pr and prudence is considered a good thing in scripture, right? Prudence is good. It's it's wise. And the prudent person, they, they see there's, hey, you know what? I foresee there's a potential, real potential for some problems ahead. I'm going to go ahead and adjust my lifestyle to avoid those real potential problems ahead. I'm not paranoid. I'm not scared. I'm prudent. That would be the idea here. And I think that this is something we can apply into our lives today. Now, maybe maybe some of the um, health officials and the statements from the CDC and from the different government organizations, maybe they're all wrong. Maybe coronavirus isn't really as big of a deal. But certainly there are a lot of professional health individuals that seem to think it is a big deal. We have respected organizations that are telling us that it is a big deal and we need to curtail its spread and we need to, to slow down the spread of it. It won't stop. It will slow it down, at least right now. And that will help keep people alive and keep people healthier. That seems to be the prudent measure. Uh, I'm personally on board with that. I don't have a problem with that. I think that in principle, at least, that seems to be supported in scripture. It's prudence. We have other other verses in Proverbs that support this idea as well. We, we, we really do need to get prudence into our minds. It's not fear. It's just wisdom. To give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. This is what um, Proverbs, the book of Proverbs, is meant to do for you. In the, in the opening of Proverbs, it tells you like the benefits of the book. And what is it gives prudence to the simple, right? People who have an overly simplistic view of life. This does apply to today. It gives them prudence that they might not look at things and be like, you're either scared or not scared and go, no, 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 there's a question of wisdom we must ask here. And then they can gain knowledge and discretion. Discretion is just saying no to things. It's like, nah, I'm not going to do that. I won't say that out loud. I won't do that thing. That's the idea of um, discretion. And this is what it's meant to give us, the book of Proverbs. If you're looking for wisdom while you're going through uh, this, 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 this outbreak, whatever's going on here, read the book of Proverbs. I think it'll give you some wisdom. Um, there's other places as well. Let me, I'll just go to one more. Proverbs 8, 5, and then we'll talk about government. Uh, Proverbs 8, 5. Um, apparently, I, I typed something weird. Oh, simple ones, learn prudence. Oh, fools, learn sense. <laughs> this is... Um, I don't want to overblow it, but I have felt as though some of the people I've discussed this stuff with have been really simplistic about it, and they haven't been thinking about things very carefully. For example, um, 
I realize I'm not at very much risk, even if I get coronavirus, at least based on the information we have today, maybe this will change in a month or two or six months. Based on the information we have today, I will have mild symptoms. I will be sick for a little while. I'll probably get over it and be fine. But I also realize I have an older mother who has COPD. And I really don't want her to get coronavirus because it's a different situation for her. So my prudence is I'm going to the store for my mom. I'm going to run errands for her if she'll let me. You know how parents are. <laughs> she'll let me. I'm running errands for her. I've extended my my invitation out to several people in my community. Hey, I'll run errands for you. I'll uh, I'll I'll take care of this or that for you. And and honestly, it's hard for people to reach out and say yes to something like that. It feels weird. I wouldn't want to say yes to something like that. But it is wise. It is prudent. And it's good for us who have less risk to reach out and seek to um, take care of those who have more risk and to try to create distance from them if they if they have needs, if they can't order something online and they need to go to the store, that kind of thing. I think that seems wise. And it also seems wise for me to realize that if I have, you know, say you've got 80 people that are older and more at risk in your congregation and you're, ask, you're answering the question of coronavirus, only thinking about how it threatens you and you're not even thinking about them, not realizing there's a much higher chance of serious illness or complications or even death with those individuals. And I'm shocked at the lack of concern for them. Now, maybe because you just think everything's overblown, coronavirus really isn't a problem, it's all just a conspiracy, that kind of thing. And I think that even if you're not sure, we should err on the side of caution when it comes to people's lives. And it's in principle, at least this thing is valid. Okay, let's talk about the government. Um, the government tells you you're not going to meet, tells you that churches shouldn't meet or can't meet or that sort of thing. Um, is this a government conspiracy to shut down churches? Is this like a long-awaited government conspiracy to shut down churches? Well, I don't think so. Um, and I'm going to give you a few reasons why in my own opinion, and I, I hope I don't speak beyond my own knowledge here. I'm trying to be careful here. Um, but I do recognize this thing started in China, which was already shutting down churches and didn't need coronavirus to do it. <laughs> like this is Like this is China. If you don't know this, right? Like they've been persecuting and shutting down and hindering churches and Christian movements for a very long time. And they've never needed an excuse like coronavirus to do it. It just doesn't really seem to make a lot of sense to say that that's really what's going on here. Um, now you can say this is part of some big excuse. And I'll just say this. Let's cross that bridge when we come to it. Uh, for churches right now that say, for the sake of witnessing Christ to my community, showing them that we care about their health, right? For the sake of the health of my congregants, realizing that God has not promised me that he'll protect me as long as I'm going to church. There is no promise that says this, right? Well, um, the uh, for, for those reasons, I think that we need to say, hey, it's okay if churches want to close their doors for a season. At the same time, if we're a church who loves our people, we're reaching out the body of Christ, not just the pastors, but the whole body, reaching out to one another to connect, to be in fellowship still, to be other on the phone, call somebody up, just talk to them on the phone. How are you doing? Can I just pray with you? How's your day going? You know, maybe getting together in smaller community groups, getting bringing someone over for, for dinner or something like that. I don't know how much isolation we're supposed to have here. Um, I don't think it's complete, at least not yet. So I'm not going to do complete isolation. I'm going to try to be in fellowship with people. I just don't want to have these giant gatherings. Okay. And maybe in a week or two, I won't do my Sunday evening service if that seems to be the wise move. And that's not a spiritual compromise, nor is it the government trying to shut me down as a church. How, do you, how will you know the government's shutting you down as a church when they just do it to the church and not as a quarantine that is obviously inconvenient for everybody on the planet that everybody wants to end as soon as possible? Um, anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm not really super conspiratorial and I, I don't want to say that my answers to you hinge on this. Even if you think it's a conspiracy, 
I want to answer you with this. Romans 13 seems to indicate to us that in general, our posture towards government is obedience. Let me read it to you. Even if it were some sort of conspiracy, let me just read it. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God, even the bad ones. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. Like, when bad stuff happens to you because you don't listen, that's on you. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Do you, would you have no fear of the one who's in the authority? Then do what is good, and you'll receive his approval. Uh, now, it goes on and reads on, but you get the basic principle is in place. So, now that's not the whole story. There's more details, right? Because under persecution, the church just does the church thing, right? I'm going to preach Jesus. If you tell me you're going to get coronavirus if, if I preach Jesus to you, guess what? I'm going to ignore you and preach Jesus anyways. This doesn't seem to be that to me. But even if there is some sort of element of persecution that's coming our way as a result of this, which I don't personally think there is, but let's suppose there is, hypothetically. I still walk in obedience to the government as much as possible until until it infringes upon those actual demands of God upon my life. And I don't have a demand of God that in time of sickness, the church gathers together no matter what. Like I don't have that demand on me. So I don't think it applies today. I just don't. And pastors like the one we just read who guilt trip people, call people compromisers. If you listen to his whole message, he calls he calls uh, people like me a compromiser if I'm saying these types of things. And he thinks he's just honoring God. And um, I think he's full of baloney, to be completely honest. So there's different you know, kinds of fear. We don't need to fear. We, we, we should obey government as much as possible until they're telling us to disobey God. Yet scripture doesn't tell us that um, weekly gatherings should happen in the middle of a plague. Like we have no biblical verse on that. And, um, and there's two different kinds of fear, right? There's fear where it says, because um, I'm scared because of what might happen to me. Then there's like proper healthy fear. Like I respect the Lord so much, I'm not going to test him by doing unwise or foolish things. So it's not time for us to freak out. And I think selflessness here can give us a lot of wisdom. Selflessness. Where I simply say, look, it's not just about me. It's about the whole community around me. It's about the whole world. And from what I'm hearing from health officials, and I don't think they're lying to me, it seems to be the case that we can take big steps right now that will have a great and exponential benefit in the future for people's health. And we'll watch and we'll see what happens. And I personally would rather err on the side of caution when it comes to this sort of thing. I mean, that's that's pretty much what I've got to share. Um, let's not judge each other. If one church in one community decides to meet and another, another community decides not to meet, you know, God give us wisdom. We're not here to judge other people's servants in that regard. And we have biblical precedents, I think, to support either position, depending on the circumstances of your community, of your culture, of the size of your gathering, of what's going on in your government locally, that sort of thing. Yeah, I don't think this is persecution. Um, and when we say it is, I think we look silly, personally. Uh, Jonathan Shear has a question. He says, hi, Pastor Mike. Love your stuff. Thanks, man. Um, your ministry is a huge blessing. How should I read through Revelation? I've been scared to read it for years because of not wanting to misunderstand it. Thanks. Um, Jonathan, I would say um, one of the mistakes with Revelation is when you try to understand too much of it too fast. I would say just read it. And if there's things you don't understand, don't try to force an interpretation. Just let the information just sit there. And I'm just going to let that sit there. I don't, I don't know what it means yet. I'm just going to let it sit there. The other thing with Revelation, at least I take kind of a commonsensical approach. Um, if it seems like it's giving a real description of something, then it is. If it seems like it's giving a, pictor a pictorial description of something, then it is. It uses the words, notice when it says like or as, right? Notice those types of things. And read it, I would recommend just read through it without commentaries first. Just read straight through it. 
interesting. Check it out. Get the big picture stuff. Don't worry about answering every little every little question. And get movies out of your head. Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse. <laughs> um, you probably have a bunch of weird ideas in your head that might be a result of modern media when it comes to these things. Um, and they want to use these like these are boogeymen, uh, you know, and instead the scripture seems to be indicating using them in other ways. I'll just say, read it like that. Read it casually. Don't worry about answering every question and, um, and read it, read large amounts of it to start with. Don't focus on single verses. Yeah. Heaven, not Harvard says, do you have any thoughts on Christians using the Enneagram? Um, I have real concerns that there is demonic origins in Eastern mysticism. I've heard that myself. I don't know the details, so I'm not going to comment on it. Don't know enough about it to be able to really give a lot of comments. Um, yeah, I'm curious about the same question you are. Um, let's see here. Um, and by the way, thanks for joining me. Um, I didn't expect this many people to be on the live stream. We're like over 1200 people with us. Thanks for joining guys. If this is your first time on a live stream, um, I just do theology and apologetics content online. It's all free videos that are just meant to help you learn to think biblically about everything to show what Christianity actually teaches biblically and to defend that Christianity is actually true. And I'll be making some extra videos in the coming days. Uh, for y'all. All right, Tobias Sedneff has a question. It says, regarding the flat earth video you did last week, is it possible that the poetic passages in Job that refer to cornerstones and pillars are actually poetic reflections of their own flat earth cosmological views? Could it be that God is communicating to them, even through poetry, using the ancient Israelites' flat earth domed view of the world? Um, so this question, let me restate it a little differently. It's like saying, um, as I understand it, uh, maybe the text doesn't teach a flat earth, but perhaps the language in the text is revealing that the people at the time believed a flat earth. Okay, so there's a huge difference between those two things. It's one thing for the text to tell us the earth is flat. It's something else for us to conclude that the, uh, the people of the time believed it. Um, the authors of the Bible may have believed lots of strange things that we would disagree with. That doesn't mean the Bible's teaching those things. So in principle, I'm totally open to that possibility. I'm very open to that possibility. In reality, I'm skeptical that they were such a flat earth community. And I haven't taught on this, but I am at least, I'll say skeptical um, at the moment that the ancients really believed that all those descriptions were quite literally true, even if they used some of those terms. And modern scholars, many of them think that they did think that the earth was flat and there was a solid dome and all those types of on pillars and things like that. But as I read the text, I'm like, well, if they really thought that, then why did they use the phrase ends of the earth, for instance, to talk about Babylon and Iran, like in that area? Why did they use it to talk about Persia when they all knew that there were lands way beyond that? So there's some disconnect here. I feel like there's some errors being made. Let's see here. Judah Matthew says, are nations and lands still judged by God through conquest, uh, disease, and disaster as they were in the Old Testament? And he clarifies his point here. He says, not saying that COVID is a judgment, but in general, is there reason to think that has changed since the Old Testament? Um, um, I don't think I have good reason to think that God doesn't judge through plague or famine or pestilence or whatever terms you want to use. Like these are kind of like almost biblical terms because we don't generally use them. But, um, but no, I have no reason to think God doesn't do that. But I do have, so I would affirm that this, this could be God's judgment upon the world. It could be, I don't know. But I also have another real strong feeling. And that, that feeling is that it's really unwise of us when we try to get behind a disaster 
and claim that God is working this way in that disaster. And usually we just read our assumptions into it. So for instance, um, uh, what was the event? Um, there was a natural disaster event that happened in the U S a little while ago. And the response, I don't know why I'm blanking on it now, but I remember the responses. I heard one pastor saying, um, this is clearly God's judgment on the nation. And then I heard another pastor saying, this is clearly not God's judgment on the nation. It's clearly a demonic attack on the nation. And I was here on the sidelines going, how do you guys know any of that? You know, like, how do you know what heaven is doing? Um, and they both probably think they have like a, like some sort of spiritual wisdom and knowledge on these things. And here I think is, is let me just speak frankly, the potential danger of pastoral arrogance. I'm a pastor and I'm not accusing every pastor of this, but it is a potential danger for every pastor. This sort of spiritual arrogance where, and, and you can, it's not just pastors, you could have this too, where I sort of feel like I'm a really discerning person. And I feel like I just, I just really get stuff. You know, I can just sort of tell what's going on. I have the gift of discernment. Uh, in fact, I've heard so many people say they have the gift of discernment. Um, and usually it's from people where I hear them and I go, I'm not sure they have that gift, but I'm sure they think they do. Um, usually if you have the gift of discernment, you don't go around telling people about it because you have enough discernment <laughs> uh, to know that that's probably not the right thing to do. But but anyhow, um, yeah, this pastoral arrogance thing that I'm worried about is the idea where a pastor, because he's always bringing answers from the word of God and the, and the word of God is totally authoritative, it starts to make him feel, and he's applying this into lives, that he can just be sort of the fountain of those kinds of answers all the time. And so in counseling, he can become reckless and he can make assumptions about people in their lives and become, give bad counsel. And he's like, thus saith the Lord effectively, you know, or makes it sound that way. Or like the pastor whose clip I played earlier, um, who seems to think he's bringing God's holy word. He's not crazy. You're crazy. Um, that, that sort of thing is what I'm concerned about. And so while I would say, yeah, this could be God's judgment, but it could also be something that's not God's judgment at all. I mean, it could just be not, uh, and, and I don't, know the details or if it is God's judgment, what is it judgment on and what is the proper response? It is wise to say, Hey, look, hard situations are going on in life. I'm going to pray. I'm going to get on my knees before God. I'm going to consider my own walk with the Lord, my own relationship with God or lack thereof. I'm going to get my life right with Christ. That's a right response. Anytime, anytime hard stuff's happening, but it's a bit, um, arrogant to ask. So let me give you an example from Jesus. I'll support this biblically. Okay. Cause it, it does matter with Jesus. Um, they, uh, there was an event that had happened near Jesus's ministry time where there was this tower called the Tower of Siloam and it had fallen down and it had killed a number of people. So it had crushed and killed them. And it seems as though the popular view was that those people must have been worse, worse sinners than other people. They were really evil. So the tower fell on them seemingly randomly because they were evil. Jesus says to them, uh, those on whom the Tower of Siloam fell, do you suppose that they were worse sinners than you? And then he, and I'm paraphrasing, and then he says to them, nope, I tell you, if you don't repent, you're going to die too. What that means is that judgment is standing over all of humanity at all times so that it, it becomes like, instead of realizing, wow, God must be judging you because you're especially bad. I realize that every time he's not judging, there's God's grace and his mercy and his long suffering on mankind. But when something like this happens, if I'm like them and I say, well, the Tower of Siloam fell, that's because you're especially wicked. Well, they were in error there. They were wrong. Why did the tower fall? Jesus doesn't say. We don't know why it fell. And that may be the case, may be the case with uh, something like coronavirus, or it could be the Lord judging. Uh, I'm just not in a position to know. Gringo Nebraska says, if churches close, how can they maintain their community? 
Um, well, I think, um, gringo, I think, um, from one gringo to another, I think that the, um, uh, the community of the church is not simply the Sunday gathering of the church. And it's really important now that you guys connect with other Christians you know and you stay in contact with them. Call them up, be in fellowship with them. Don't break off the fellowship, especially because you're not gathering uh, potentially for a short season. You're not gathering on your Sunday services. You could have small home gatherings. That would be a great way to continue the fellowship of the community. You could have online gatherings. That would be a great way to continue the fellowship uh, where you're interacting in live chats and things like that. You can get them on the phone. You can FaceTime individuals. Stay in touch with the family of God. That's that's how churches can maintain their community. Um, Angela uh, Budoin says, my coworker is a Seventh-day Adventist. He uses Psalm 91 to say we are we actually are going to have thousands dead to our left and right, but believers will not be harmed. Freaked out. Thoughts? Yes. Um, I have lots of thoughts for you. Um, your coworker is biblically bonkers. <laughs> I'm sorry to say this, Angela, your coworker is utterly abusing the text of scripture. Um, utterly, utterly abusing it. And I don't know how to fix him because chances are, if I was to show him in context, how Jesus refuted his interpretation of Psalm 91, chances are he wouldn't care. Um, just because of these experiences I've had encountering people who feel real strongly these types of things. You don't come to his conclusions reading the Bible carefully. You come to those conclusions some other fashion. So yeah, don't be freaked out. Don't worry about what your uh, what your friend has said. Um, he's misusing the scripture. Kenneth Gee says, is then a case of obeying the authorities um, when it does not conflict with God's law? Um, I read out word for word there. So I'm, I'm going to add a word or two to your question to make more sense of it for myself. Um, is it a case of obeying the authorities when it does not conflict with God's law? I think that's exactly the idea. If I, I obey... Um, I, I look at this with whether it's parents or bosses or or or, or government. I'm going to obey the proper authority over me up until the point at which they want me to sin. Okay, if not going to church is a sinful thing, I will I will do it anyways. Right, I'm going to go to church anyways, even if the government tells me not to. But I don't think that's the scenario we're in, and that's why I built a biblical case about um, uh, quarantines and the idea that. Um, Yes. Now, you, you, some people quote Hebrews. Hey, do not forsake the fellowship of the saints, the gathering together of the saints. But I'm not forsaking it, right? To miss one Sunday because you're ill or someone else is ill or you might get someone ill, that's not forsaking the fellowship. To even miss a month because of that is not forsaking the fellowship. I know some people have been hospitalized, hospitalized for maybe a whole month, month and a half, because maybe they're going through, as someone I know, uh, a friend, a, a friend's dad is going through... Um, uh, a bone marrow transplant right now. And for like over a month, he's in the hospital. He can't go to church or anywhere. Is he forsaking the fellowship of the saints because of that? No, this is like a medical thing. I think we all get the difference. Um, let's see here. Katie 22 says, how can we pray effectively, especially for government and health workers? I mean, just you, you pray in faith and start, you know, pouring out your heart before God. Pray for their, uh, their protection, the protection of health workers right now. We're going to potentially lose health workers if they get sick and then they can't help other people, that kind of thing. But yeah, just, just pray for them. Pray that they would be given wisdom, that God would, would get us through this and help us to curb this thing as much as possible. Help us to learn our lessons from it if there are any lessons to learn. Um, those are some of my suggestions, Katie, although I'm, I'm not the guru on, on prayer, but my thoughts. Shirley Goss says, I'm elderly. I have diabetes. Should I crawl into a hole and isolate myself? Um, 
Probably, and not a whole though, surely, not a whole. <laughs> I would say um, try to find people around you who might be able to help you. If you don't have family who can run errands for you that are near you, um, then maybe call your local church and say, hey, is there a young person there who can help me out if I need something? Um, but yeah, I, I think that it seems, now you're asking my wisdom here. I think that, that what I'm about to say is permitted biblically, I'm not, but my opinion is that it does apply in today's situation, that you isolating yourself to some degree is good. But in the middle of that, make sure you're social. Make sure you're social, connecting with individuals, talking to people. There's plenty of other people available to chat with on the phone right now. Um, so I, I would recommend that, surely. Take care of yourself. Um, we love you. We care about you. And as annoying as it is, this thing has a higher chance of causing you harm than it does to somebody else. And if you were my mom, I'd be like, calling you, texting you every day. Is there something I can get you? Is there anything you need? Because I know my mom, she's going to be like, I'm just going to get it myself. And I'm like, mom, don't. Mom, if you're listening, don't. I'll get it. Okay. <laughs> um, all right. So bad association says, should we be prepared for an economic collapse? If so, what is the prudent thing to do? Um, I don't know enough about economics to suggest what's going to happen with that. I'm worried about the economy too. Um, I'm worried about people losing their businesses because of the, uh, this, you know, if, if they have tight margins and they have, they live check to check month to month, this could seriously cause problems for them, but I don't have the answers for what to do there. Um, I'm concerned about those things. And, um, yeah, yeah. I heard someone suggesting, uh, um, still patronize those businesses. Uh, you could even go buy a gift card for a business that you want to try to keep them, keep them going. You could buy a gift card that you'll know you'll spend later so that they at least have some cash flow moving through while they're going through this hard time. That's one thing you could do to help. Um, and Brando says, what do you think about a vaccine coming about? And if people don't want to take it for faith reasons, um, the only faith reason I have would have to not take a vaccine is if it somehow is the result of abortions. Like if it has, I've heard some people say vaccines have like baby fetuses that are used, um, in order to make the vaccines. And I have a major moral problem with that, but I don't. But I don't even know, forgive me guys, I don't know if that's a true claim or not. I haven't looked into it to, to verify. But hypothetically, that would be one moral issue. Uh, as far as other issues of vaccines and people saying that they're causing harms, I'm not aware that that's true. So I, I don't operate based upon those claims. And so, yeah, I hope that answers those questions. Hey, I mean, thank you guys for joining me. This has been like the impromptu sort of, I just decided to do this late last night. And I thought, you know what, I'm just going to do this. I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to do this because I'm worried about the misinformation. There's nothing unbiblical about prudence. There's nothing unbiblical about even a church saying, hey, we're not going to have the mass gathering of our church that is, we think, likely to cause medical and health problems for people. We love the people too much. Out of love for people, we're going to close our doors temporarily, and then we're going to reopen them as soon as possible. And in the meantime, go into high gear of ministering and reaching out and connecting and fellowshipping with the people in your community who might feel isolated. This could actually have positive benefits in relationships in your life. You might rebuild or build new relationships um, as a result of just your routine getting all messed up. So I'm looking for the silver lining and I'm being very hopeful about it, making wise choices. I'm happy for precautions that are happening and um, I'm not paranoid and I'm still Christian. <laughs> anyway, I, ho I hope that helps. Um, you guys, God bless you. Uh, thanks for joining me today. The, the next, the next thing on on the on the docket is uh, tomorrow's live stream. Um, that is going to be um, just a Q and A. I'll just do Q and A the whole time. Your questions, and then later this week, I'm going to put up a video about the Dead Sea Scrolls. 
Um, and the Museum of the Bible, they were found that the Museum of the Bible had these forgeries uh, of the Dead Sea Scrolls in, in there. And it's way overblown, but I feel like an informational video needs to be put out. So I'm uh, getting some footage together for that. So yeah, that's about it. Yeah. Lord bless you guys. Thanks to my mods for being here and being available on short notice. And we will see you um, when we see you. <laughs>